0: Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you. And we're so grateful for the... Regeneration Alumni Choir here, Modern Service, welcome, welcome as we gather together for uh, the preaching of the word, two rooms at one time at this 1030 hour, so it's good to have the family of faith together, it's good to see you all, and we are in Luke chapter 19 this morning, go ahead and turn there, and here is where we're headed today to see Jesus come and encounter someone, and after experiencing the mercy and grace of God, there's a response on this individual's part and so, too, we're headed to the mercy and grace of God at the Lord's table, and then uh, we will get to respond as well. Luke chapter 19, if you need a copy of the Word of God, there's one in the Purack right in front of you here in this room over in the Modern Worship Service. Just raise your hand if you need a hard copy of the Scriptures. You can turn on your digital device. Find it. If you're new to Bible study, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel. If you can find Matthew there, you can find Luke. Luke, we're walking through a series in the gospel of Luke called The Kingdom Way. And so this past week, I sent out something on social media and I asked for your help. And it was in the form of a question and it was really fun to see some of the responses that you gave back to me. And so here was the question. I said, I need your input for today's sermon. And so if you could invite three guests to dinner or to coffee. They could be guests from the past. They could be dead or they could be currently living alive. Whom would you invite? Now think about it. Some of you sent some in. I'm going to share with you some of these great responses, but whom would you invite? Three guests. Here's what some of you said, and this was really fun over the last couple of days, like I said. Many of you said Jesus, and I think that's really good, okay? When you ask a church, who would you have over, it's kind of a given. All right? I would hope so. All right, but who were some of the other people? Now, this was, seriously, this was moving because I didn't see this coming. How many people said, I wish I could eat with or have coffee with a loved one who's no longer here? A mom or a dad, a grandmother, an uncle, a son, a daughter. I was genuinely moved by that. Because you miss those people. And you just like one shot, just one shot to sit down with them. So I learned about your hearts in that. I thought that was wonderful. But most people uh, also included some of these figures. Let me give you a a couple of uh, categories here, all right? Spiritual leaders like Billy Graham. Missionaries like Hudson Taylor, biblical characters like Solomon, uh, known as one of the wisest men around, so that's a, a great dinner companion there. The Apostle Paul, the disciples, uh, cultural or social movement leaders like Bonhoeffer, who tried to assassinate uh, Hitler to stop him from exterminating the Jewish people. Corey Tinboom and Frank. Movements in the civil rights era, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Presidents, we love our presidents here. They're our heroes, presidents from all different eras. Authors like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and Emily Dickinson and John Steinbeck. Athletes, we love our sports. Athletes like Tim, Tim Tebow and Tom Brady, Hank Aaron, coaches like Tom Landry, and of course, Dabo Sweeney, who wouldn't want to have dinner with him, right? The rich and famous like Oprah and Kate Middleton, actors like Ben Stiller, comedians like Will Rogers, musicians like Harry Connick Jr., Blake Shelton, and Bono from U2. All sorts of neat answers. This was a lot of fun. But here was probably the most interesting thing is some of the combinations you put together, such as, I don't know if this gentleman's here. This, this is probably my favorite. Uh, He said, Jesus, it's good. Solomon, that's good. And Cindy Crawford. Where did that come from? Not exactly. I I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know. Uh, Here's the only thing, brother. Um, Two things. One, you put it out there. I didn't do it. You're the one that put it out there. Second of all, just take your wife some flowers this afternoon. All right. Encourage her a little bit. All right. Uh, Here's one. This is a type A personality right here. Peter. Cuts the Roman soldier's ear off. Bonhoeffer wants to kill uh, Hitler and Tim Tebow. <laughs> I thought that was, that was great. Tebow's an aggressive guy. And then this is someone that I love dearly, and she might not forgive me for this, but I, I love this one. She said, my dad, uh, who I lost at the age of 11, and a friend who um, is no longer here, died at a very young age. And then she said, um, Blake Shelton. <laughs> and... And then, in parentheses, I won't call his name, but he said, and her husband, you can come too. Oh, that was very, very sweet. But here's the thing. Whenever these individuals come to dinner and we, we want them to come and have coffee with us, here's what we're doing. We're attracted to them. And we're, we, at one point we're intimate with them and we love them and, um, they have such great value to us, either as family members or friends, or they can, they, they are admirable people who have done something great or they can offer us something that we can take with us. They can instruct us. They can teach us. They can help us. They can guide us, can help us understand better. These are all individuals that we are engaged with because we're attracted to them and we want to be with them. And whenever we walk through the gospels, here's what we are beginning to understand that when Jesus sees individuals, he wants to be with them. He wants to spend time with them, not because they're attractive, not because they are valuable to society, so to speak, not because he can get something from them, but quite the opposite. Jesus comes and he sees people and he wants to spend time with people because they are Dejected, they are, they are hated. They are despised. They are left out. They're on the edges. They're not loved. They're not admirable, many of them. They can't give Jesus anything except a bad reputation for being with them. And that's why Jesus comes to offer them the greatest gift that he could ever offer. And that is his grace and that is his mercy. And that is a repentance that frees and liberates people. This is who our Jesus is. And so we find that in this story from Luke chapter 19, one of the most popular stories, probably in all of Luke's gospel. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, what we want to see is the mercy and the grace, the holiness and the justice, the forgiveness of Jesus and the repentance that can take place in all of us this morning, a repentance that is really part of the kingdom way. So if you have your place, Luke chapter 19, if you'll stand with me for the reading of the word of God this morning, this is simply an act of worship on our part as we encounter Christ, the living Christ and his written word this morning. Here's what it says. Chapter 19, verse one, he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. Jericho is this populated, largely populated, very important city. Jesus is making his way. To Jerusalem so he's not too far away but he comes into this very very important city and he stops there and he sees what Luke says is a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus now here's what we understand about Jericho not only is it a very populated city an important city but the Romans deemed it so pop uh, so important that they made it a collection and an IRS headquarters if you will for the region so there are all kinds of government officials, all kinds of tax collectors who are there. And so Jesus is coming through. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's pretty popular. A crowd is beginning to gather as he walks in. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the one we've heard about. He's finally here. This popular figure. And on the other side of the equation, here we have this man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And tax collectors are not very popular people to begin with, right? I mean, if your son or daughter came home from college and said, dad, I've changed my major. I'm now going to be an IRS official. You would purse your lips and you would go, okay, we love you. Okay. It's not the most popular profession, but especially in the first century, it is a hated profession by the Jews because here's why the Romans were smart when they took over. They just didn't say, we're the Romans, give us your taxes. What they said was, we're the Romans and we're going to hire people, natives, nationals to your city. We're going to hire them. They are going to collect your taxes. And so these individuals, these sons and daughters of the city, When they crossed over the line and said, we will be employed by Rome. We will collect taxes from our friends, from our neighbors, from our family members. They crossed over a line and headed straight for power and wealth. And they left everything else behind because they were going to be despised. They were going to be rejected. They were going to be thrown out of their families. And so tax collectors were dejected, hated people. But notice what the text says. He was a chief tax collector. So Zacchaeus has worked his way up the ladder. A little pun there if you're listening this morning. He worked his way up the ladder. And he now was managing, he was now leading tax collectors. He was recruiting tax collectors to go out. So these tax collectors, when they go out, have a responsibility to Rome to take in a certain amount of money. And Rome said this, you can keep a little for yourself. And they kept a lot for themselves. This is how they got wealthy. And then Zacchaeus comes on, and he's a chief tax collector. So as the tax collectors go out, not only are they trying to collect for Rome, they're not only collecting for themselves so that they could get rich, but now they're collecting for their boss, for Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was hated. He was despised because he was a chief tax collector in the city. He was seen as not only a political traitor, he was more loyal to Rome than to the Jewish people. He was seen as an economic cheat. To his friends and to his neighbors and to the people of Jericho. So he was way over here when it comes to the social pool. So Jesus comes walking in. Now who does Jesus invite to dinner? He doesn't invite the most popular religious figure of the day. He looks up into this tree. Because Zacchaeus was small in stature. He was short and he runs up into a sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to remember the song. You'll be singing it all afternoon. Thank you very much. Right all day. You're going to be singing it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He's up in this tree and Jesus comes in and Jesus looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, look at your text. It is necessary. I must, the Greek language there is strong with this impulse from heaven. I must come to your house Today, it is immediate, it is urgent, it is a necessity that I come and eat dinner with you, that I come and have coffee with you, that I come and spend time with you because I have something to give you, Zacchaeus. Now let me pause here just for a second. Think about this man. Full of power, full of wealth, full of pride, maybe arrogant, what would cause a man with money, with wealth, with this lifestyle in front of him to hear about this man from heaven coming into the city, this, this man who, who was changing people, who, who, who was, who was eating and drinking and, 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 and involved with people who were disliked. The reputation of Jesus goes ahead of him. Why would he, Small in stature, trying to get around the crowd. He's, he's trying to get in here and he's trying to get in here. And, and, and you know how it is if you have your kids in your hand and, and um, they can't see. What do you do? You, you put them on your shoulders so that you can see. No one put Zacchaeus on their shoulders. In fact, they probably wanted to punch him in the nose, right? No one wanted to talk to this guy. And so finally he goes around and he climbs up into a tree. And here's what I think. I think Zacchaeus, his money, his wealth, his power, his reputation all of these things had so wrapped around his heart that it had starved his heart for the love and the affection and the grace and the mercy for his life that he longed for. I think he was dry. I think he was looking. This man can change my life. Maybe some of you this morning, you're here in this room, you're here in the modern service. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe that is your heart this morning. You're longing for something. Your heart is, it has been wrapped by something that has caused it to be dry and you are hurting and you are looking and you are lonely and you're hoping that it is this Jesus or someone or something can fulfill you. I think this is where Zacchaeus was because look at what happens in verse six. He turned and he came down. And he received him joyfully with great joy. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. You got to love the "they's" in the gospel, right? Who are the "they's"? This is the religious leaders. These are the Pharisees. These are the scribes. These are maybe the common Jews who are saying what he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Put your finger right there. Here is what. Culturally, Jesus is doing when he goes and he eats with someone, he has coffee and dinner with someone, when he spends time with him, he, what, what culturally he is saying is that I am accepting you. And so for the, the, the law abiders, for the religious people, here is what Jesus is saying. I condone you. I don't condemn you. I condone You and your lifestyle. And so this is where they drew a line. And they said, nope, nope, he's a sinner. He's unclean. He's rejected. He's no longer part of the the kingdom. He's no longer part of the family. of God. He is over here. How can you condone? How can you eat with him? And I love what happens next. After some time, I believe, Zacchaeus stands up and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. A rescue has been made, Zacchaeus, in your heart and in your life, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save who? The lost. And here's what has happened in Zacchaeus' heart. There has been a faith that has been awakened in the person of Jesus. And there has been genuine repentance. Now, repentance is a big theological word. It's a word that we don't like to use a lot because the word reminds us of of judgment. It reminds us of sin. It reminds us. Uh, of all of the things that, that kind of push against our sensibilities. And, but he, here's the thing. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God without repentance. Repentance is simply this, that you encounter Christ and you turn away from your sin and you simply run to him. And repentance has gotten a bad rap because there's this sense, or I've, I've been caught, or this sense of judgment. But here's what repentance is. Listen, repentance, according to Luke chapter 19, is not something to be ashamed of. Repentance is not something to be feared. Repentance is something to be embraced because when we come face to face with who Jesus is, when we come face to face with His holiness and His Mercy. You see, this is what Zacchaeus sees. He sees Jesus as holy from heaven. He's perfect. So therefore, he has the power to condemn my sin. He has power to condemn me. He has every right to look at me a sinner and to condemn me forever. Will he do that? And Here's what he found out. Yes, he is holy. He has also power to forgive you. He has the power to condemn because he's perfect. But he has power to forgive because he's merciful. And Jesus never, ever condones the lifestyles of the prostitutes and of the tax collectors and of the Gentiles and of the Romans. What he does, he says to them, you come to me and I will show you your sin. But then if you repent, you will be free. You'll be liberated. Your sin wraps around your heart. Zacchaeus, maybe this is how the conversation went. Zacchaeus, your sin has, has wrapped around your heart. Your money, your wealth, your position, your reputation. It is so wrapped around your heart and you can't break free. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You're trapped, Zacchaeus, but I have all power. To forgive you. To have mercy on you. If you will believe. Zacchaeus believes. And what happens? He's totally liberated. His money. The thing that he held on to the most. The thing that gripped his heart the most. And wouldn't let it go. Money. And wealth. What happens? Jesus in his power comes and totally transforms his life. And now that money is something to be given away. Instead of something to hold on to, it's something to be generously poured out on others. Restitution. He not only repays people. He says, I'm going to give half of everything I own. I've been so transformed. I've been so transformed by your mercy and by your grace, Jesus, this morning. I've been so transformed that now I am free. I am liberated to give my money away. The thing that held me back is now the thing I freely give. Half of my possessions, I give it away. I restore, I'm going to find out who did I cheat. I'm going to look through the records. I'm going to find him. I'm going to say, I'm going to restore, not just once, not just two times. Two times the law said, and you're good, the Jewish law. But I'm going to restore it four times as much because I've been liberated. I've been free. You see, he has come into an encounter with Jesus and his power and his holiness and his forgiveness and his mercy. And what Jesus does, he not only rescues him, salvation has come to this house, but he gives him a new identity. You are now a spiritual son of Abraham. You have been cast off. You have been rejected by your own people. You have been rejected. You are not considered worthy to be in the family. But you know what, Zacchaeus? With my power I now transfer and I give you a new identity and now you're somebody different and he comes into this meeting with Jesus weighed down his heart captured, tangled up in wealth and money, and he leaves his heart free, a new individual, and now he responds to him in a powerful, powerful way. Don't you want that in your heart and in your life? Some of you this morning have never trusted Christ and you're hearing this and I urge you and I ask you to consider for the very first time coming face to face with this incredible good news that Christ has given his life for you. We're coming to the table in just a minute where Christ has given up his body. We'll take the bread and it is symbolic of of Christ's body that was broken. We'll drink the juice that is symbolic of his blood that was shed for our forgiveness of sin. And you can come this morning for the very first time, not simply, not simply to attend a worship service, but to give your life to Christ. I encourage you to do that. But here's the thing. Repentance just isn't for the chief tax collectors. Repentance just isn't for The prostitutes. Repentance isn't just for the chief sinners of the city. Repentance is for all of us. Repentance is for preachers. Repentance is for religious people. Repentance is for church people. Repentance is for incredibly moral people because we all have things that wrap around our heart called sin until we get to heaven. Sin will be part of our lives and those things wrap around our heart and those things capture us and keep us. So this morning, here's what I want to ask you. What is wrapped around your heart? It might be an attitude. It might be anger. It might be bitterness. It might be, it might be money. It might be something that you know what it is. It sits there and it sits there and you let it sit there and you let it grow and you let it grow, but it needs to be removed. It needs to be cut away so that you can be free. You know, this week is um, is beautiful weather outside and the neighbor two doors down from us. He beat us all to the punch. He got his mulch out there, and we're all grumbling because, you know, he's already ahead of us and, and getting our lawns ready. And, and so um, I've told this story before, but back in Atlanta, when when the spring would come and the summer would come, our yard was completely covered with kudzu. Do you know what kudzu is? Yeah, you're, you're, you're moaning. You know what kudzu is? Kudzu is this... This weed or this vine, whatever it is, and um, it was brought over. I learned this. It was brought over for a garden exhibition in the late 1800s. Whoever idea that was to bring that over, you are not my guest for dinner. You're not coming to my dinner party, all right? And so this kudzu, it just grows. It grows, the, it grows on the side of our yard, and in the back of our yard, all over the place. And it's this vine that, that just grows exponentially and it just spreads all out and it gets tangled in the side yard. It, would, it was a great place for snakes. That's where snakes would love to hide in, in, in the kudzu. And it would grow up on trees and it would grow up on the, on the brick siding of our home. And here's the only thing that would get rid of that kudzu is someone would have to come in with some powerful agent. And for me, it was getting my gloves on, getting down in the ground, and ripping that vine right out of the ground. Just ripping it and following it and following it and following it and keeping with it and up the tree. I'd rip it off the tree. I'd rip it down. And this became an annual thing where you had to have the power to come in to get rid of what is tangling everything up. And this is what repentance does. Repentance takes the power of the gospel of Christ and his life and his work and his death and his resurrection. And the power of the gospel comes and it is applied to your heart and you begin to rip it away. Whatever's there. Whatever, whatever, whatever holds you back, whatever is guarding your heart, whatever keeps you from being free this morning. And this is, I think, the first step. And here's the last word that we're going to take a look at this morning and lead us into the Lord's Supper. Look, look over the page. And I think this is the first step towards repentance. And this really moves us not only by way of repenting, but it, it moves us into freedom. Luke chapter 18. You could take verse 7 of Luke chapter 19. You could put a box around it. You could draw an arrow over to Luke chapter 18 because I think Jesus tells this story here. And it fits perfectly with the story of Zacchaeus. Look in verse 9. It says this He told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So, two men were up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, so he's a law abider, he's moral, he's religious, he's good. He's a churchman and the other a tax collector and the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, they're unjust, they're adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now look what Jesus says, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the first step in repentance It's simply this recognizing that you are powerless to free yourself from your sin. That you're humble enough to recognize that this sin will destroy me and there's nothing I can do. And what we want to do is declare ourselves moral. We want to declare ourselves righteous. We want, to, we want people to know how good we are. We want to keep up the front. But inside, here's what Jesus longs for, for you to come to him and say, I can't do it. Will you free me in your power? Will you free me? So this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, let me ask you this. What's got your heart? What is that thing that if you lose control of that thing, is going to keep you up at night? What's the thing that you have to hold on to with all of your might? What's the thing that gives you great comfort? What's the thing that gives you great stability? If it's anything other than Christ, will you repent this morning? Will you come to him? Will you you allow the power of the gospel to cut away the kudzu that tangles your heart? Will you allow the gospel to make you free? see, it's good for the chief tax collectors. It's good for the preachers and the churchmen. Repentance is the kingdom way. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, this is your opportunity to respond. Deacons, if you'll come forward in this room and in the other room, the modern service will. Prepare to take the Lord's Supper as well. And if you're a follower of Jesus in both rooms, we invite you to come to the Lord's Supper. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would simply ask you to let the bread and the juice go by. That you would just let it go by so that, not that you could feel like an outsider, but simply because we want to be true to the scriptures which teach that the body and the blood of Christ is reserved for those who are indeed followers of Jesus, and our heart would be that you would come to know this Jesus. Listen, listen, if you don't know Christ, I want you to see the love of Christ in what we're about to participate in. For the rest of us, this is an opportunity to confess. Paul writes in the New Testament, if you come to the Lord's table... Examine your heart. Look inside. Put a spotlight on it. And if there's anything there that holds you back. If there's anything that tangles you up. Now's the time to let the power of the blood and the body of Christ free you. And declare yourself forgiven. Let's pray right now and then we'll continue in our worship time. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this incredible act that Christ performed on our behalf. And we pray that we would respond accordingly, that we would look at him, just look at him. And would see him in his holiness next to him. We are sinful, but then to see the cost that we hold in our hands to make us sons and daughters of God, And may we live in that freedom as we repent, as we confess, and as you forgive, we celebrate Christ in his name. We pray this prayer. Amen.